Well, George Mueller was a Christian who lived in the 1800s, and he was very famous for starting several orphanages in England. And more precisely, he was famous for how he built and ran those orphanages. He did it by never once asking for money. Though he had great need for money and things, he never once asked anyone for money. But he simply prayed and trusted the Lord to provide what was needed. Buildings to house the orphans, food and clothing for the thousands of kids that he cared for over the course of his life, his own needs, and everything in between. George Mueller ran those orphanages this way for a particular reason. He wanted to show the people of his day that he thought lacked faith. He wanted to show them that God does answer prayer and that God could be trusted to provide. But more importantly, he wanted to show the power and faithfulness of the God to whom we pray. He wanted to show the power and faithfulness of the God to whom Christians worship and pray. Now, there are a number of stories from George Mueller's life of God amazingly providing what he needed. If you've never read a biography about him or his autobiography, I would encourage you to do so. But one of my favorite stories from his life is from his first trip to Canada. He was traveling by ship, and as the ship approached the shores of Canada, a thick fog descended that forced the ship to stop. It couldn't safely enter the harbor because no one could see. George Mueller believed it was God's will for him to arrive in time for an important meeting that he had shortly after the ship's scheduled arrival. So he went to the ship's captain and just told him, frankly, that he needed to arrive on time. Well, the captain, of course, said that this was impossible. So George Mueller invited the captain below deck to pray. Now, telling the story later, this captain admitted that he thought George Mueller was a bit crazy. But he agreed to to go pray with Mr. Mueller. He was a confessing Christian. He agreed to go pray. And this is the prayer that he records George Mueller praying. O Lord, if it is consistent with your will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the appointment you made for me Saturday. I believe it is your will. And amazingly, within those five minutes, the fog did lift, and George Mueller arrived safely and on time in Canada. He prayed in faith, and God answered his prayer. And brothers and sisters, George Mueller was a man who was not afraid to pray boldly. He believed in the power of prayer because he had an unwavering trust in the God to whom he was praying. Brothers and sisters, do you pray like this? Brothers and sisters, do you have a faith like that? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. And also find that text in your bulletin. And we're going to be thinking about the topic of prayer this morning. In these verses, Jesus encourages you to pray boldly. And he encourages you to pray with an expectant faith because of the good, gracious, and all-powerful God to whom you pray. So please follow along as I start reading in Luke chapter 11. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. 
and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Do not bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, the main idea of this text, and therefore the main idea of this sermon, is pray with bold faith to your God who delights to give good gifts. Pray with bold faith to your God who delights to give good gifts. I have three points to help us study these verses and that idea this morning. The first is the content of your prayers. The content of your prayers. We'll find that in verses 1 through 4. The second is the attitude of your prayers. Find that in verses 5 through 8. And then finally, the expectation of your prayers. And we'll find that in verses 9 through 13. So first, the content of your prayers. First, as these verses open, let us just note the remarkable fact that Jesus himself was praying. And now we've probably grown so accustomed to the Bible that this doesn't really strike us. But Jesus prayed often during his earthly ministry because he desired fellowship with his Father, and because he needed to pray. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And in his humanity, Jesus needed to pray. His prayers showed that he was depending on the Father. As we have seen over and over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father. Father sent him, Jesus came, and ministered in the power of the Spirit. The redemption that Jesus accomplished was planned by the Father. It was accomplished by Jesus, the Son, and it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus depended on the Spirit through prayer. Jesus needed to depend on the Spirit through prayer. Jesus' prayers also set an example for us. His example of just regularly praying is to be a model to us. I notice that right after seeing this example of Jesus praying, one of his disciples turns to him and asks Jesus to teach him how to pray, to teach him and the other disciples how they are to pray. Brothers and sisters, what a wonderful request this is. What a great question that that disciple asked of Jesus. He realized that if Jesus found it important to pray, if Jesus needed to pray, well, so did he. 
And brothers and sisters, if Jesus needed to pray, so do we. And let me just put it bluntly. Christians pray. Christians pray. We must depend on the Spirit through prayer. This means that faithful churches must be praying churches. We must depend on the Spirit through prayer. Brothers and sisters, if, if prayer is not a regular part of your life, that needs to change. I know that you do not always feel like praying, but Satan loves it when you do not pray. I mean, if you ever considered the fact that your lack of desire for prayer may be an attack from the enemy. It is not a, a good desire. It's not like, ah, oh, I should just pray when I feel like it. No, do not give in to the temptation to not pray. Fight against it. When you do not feel like praying, pray anyway. When you do feel like praying, pray. But when you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. Christians are not just called to pray, and Christians are not just called to obey when they feel like it, when they're in the mood. But at all times, we're to pray continually. We're to always be obeying the Lord. And so in these verses, Jesus did answer that request from his disciples, and he turned and taught them how to pray. They needed to learn how to pray, and so do we. The model prayer that Jesus provides in these verses is what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. You can find a longer version of it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Jesus was likely teaching this in more than one place as he traveled around as a, something of an itinerant preacher. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes simply walking through some of the elements of this model prayer that we find here in Luke chapter 11 and then make a few observations about it at the end. First, we should note that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to the Father. This probably seems obvious if you've been a Christian for any length of time, but we are to pray to God. We're not to pray to Mary, any other famous saint from old. We're not called to pray to our dead ancestors. The Bible does not teach us to do those things. And practically, there is no need to because we have access to God himself. We have access to God himself. We're to pray to God. And specifically, Jesus teaches us that we are to pray to the Father. Now, there's nothing wrong for us to pray to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I do it sometimes when I'm up here. All are equally God. The Son, the Spirit, the Father, all equally God, all equally deserving of honor and worship and adoration. You can pray to them. However, I believe that the, the normal pattern of Christian prayer is to pray as Jesus taught. We pray to the Father, through the Son, and in the power of the Spirit. We pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean our prayer is, is always shaped by the triune God. But the Bible teaches that it is Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross that grants us access to God through faith. We have access to God in prayer because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So in the Old Testament, 
Only the high priest could enter into the presence of God in the most holy place in the temple. There was a temple. Normal people couldn't go into that temple. Only the priest could go in. And even within the temple, only the high priest could go into the most holy place of the temple. Everyone else was barred from access into the presence of God. But at Jesus' death, the curtain that separated everyone else from the most holy place in the temple was torn from two, symbolizing that now all had access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, in other words, the most holy place, through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. In other words, if you are a Christian, you can enter into God's presence. You can draw near because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Friends, one of the the consequences of your sin is that it separated you from God. There was a division created between you and God, the holy God who cannot dwell with sin. You were separated from him because of your sin. And so without Jesus' blood that cleanses you from sin... You cannot draw near to the holy God. But by his death and resurrection, Jesus reconciles to God all who will repent of their sins and place their faith in him. It is Jesus who enables you to draw near to God. Now, friends, this is why Christians in their prayers by saying in Jesus name. This is why we as Christians pray in Jesus name. It's not a magical formula. But we are acknowledging that we can approach God only through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are praying to the Father through the Son. We are praying in Jesus' name. It is only because of Jesus' sacrifice that our prayers can be acceptable to God. And friends, we approach the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must have the assistance of the Holy Spirit as we pray. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And brothers and sisters, how encouraging is that? Even if you do not know what to pray, pray anyway, because the Spirit pleads for you before the Father, even when you come with pitiful prayers, even when you pray for things that you should not, even when you do not pray for the things you should, the Spirit intercedes for you before the Father. He helps you in your weakness. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater encouragement to prayer than that. And so the, the normal pattern of Christian prayer is to pray to the Father through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. After telling his disciples that they're to pray for the Father, Jesus then taught them that they're to begin their prayers by offering praise and adoration to God, to the Father, and also to the Son and the Spirit. This is what it means to honor God's name as holy. 
We are praying that God would receive the praise and the honor that he is due. Brothers and sisters, that means that your prayer time should not just be a time to simply tell God all the things that you want him to do for you. More money, better health, better life. Now, first and foremost, your heart's desire should be to see the name of the Lord your God praised. Not your bank accounts full, not your emotional needs being met. To see the name of the Lord your God praised. So take time in your prayers to glorify God for who he is. To praise him for what he has done. And friends, if you do not see the importance of this, I would just challenge you to go read through the prayers that we find in the Bible. Let's go read through the Psalms, for instance. They are full of praise to God. It is simply the biblical pattern of prayer. I would guess that there is far more content in those prayers that are praising God than are asking for anything to be done. We pray that God's name would be honored as holy. We're also to pray that God's kingdom would come. Now, in some sense, this is to pray that God's rule and reign will be extended on the earth as, as the church grows, his kingdom grows, as more people repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. But more than that, it's a prayer that asks for Jesus' return. Or the second to last sentence of the book of Revelation. So the second to last sentence of the entire Bible is a short prayer that simply says, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. My friends, that is our hope and prayer as Christians. We long for the day when Jesus will return and God's kingdom will fully be established. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We long for the day when we will be freed from this body of sin. When there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more stress and no more worry and no more hard days. The day when we will have no more need to ask God for anything because we will not want for anything. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Let your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, notice that these first two elements of the model prayer that Jesus gives here focus on God and his glory. And not your needs and your desires. The focus is on God and his glory. Jesus is teaching you something. He is teaching you something about your prayers. He is teaching you something about your spiritual life. God's glory is to be central. God's praise is to be on your lips. Taking time to praise God in your prayers and and set your hope on Jesus' return helps rightly orient your mind and rightly orient your heart before you bring to him your requests. Brothers and sisters, do your own prayers look like this? Are they full of praise? Is your desire for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, or simply for your own desires to be fulfilled? One way to, to know is to simply ask if you are content when you do not receive the things that you ask for in prayer? Are you content when you do not receive the things that you ask for in prayer? 
If you're not content when God does not do exactly as you ask, it may indicate that your highest desire is for your kingdom to be built and your will to be done, and not his. Notice it was not until after Jesus instructed his disciples to praise God that he instructed them to make any personal requests. And even then, that personal request that Jesus instructs is is fairly limited. Look at verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. Simply a prayer for our basic provisions to be met. That God would give you the food that you need for the next day. The sustenance that you need for the next day. I love how the theologian D.A. Carson puts it. The prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. The prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. Now, I want to be clear. This does not mean it is wrong to pray for things beyond your basic needs. It is a good thing to pray for things beyond your basic needs. But we are to be content in simply having our basic needs met. We are to be content in simply having our basic needs met. And what an encouragement that God cares for those basic needs. He governs the whole world. He's in charge of a kingdom. And he cares for us as individuals. That we might have our daily bread. He cares for things great and small. And so we can pray for things great and small. Jesus then encouraged his disciples to pray for forgiveness. Jesus was speaking to his disciples here. So this is not a prayer for salvation. A request for the regular and daily cleansing from sin that we need as Christians. It is repentance to repair the damage caused to our relationship with God because of our sin. Confession and repentance are not a one-time thing in the Christian life. It would be a regular and daily practice. Not because if we fail to do it, we're suddenly going to be cast away from God's presence. We will remain children of God just like a child needs to make peace with their parents who love them when they have wronged them. And we're called to confess our sins before God daily. And just think about your own relationships for a second. Would you feel comfortable making a request or asking a favor from someone that you had just wronged? No, I I think you would recognize that you would need to right the wrong you committed before asking them for anything. This does not mean that God is going to refuse to answer your prayers if like, you don't remember each and every sin that you've ever committed and confess them to him. Or even if you don't confess that day that he's going to refuse to hear your prayers. But the pattern of your prayer should be to confess your sins when you come to God in prayer. And the purpose of that is not so you'll get what you ask for. That's not why this instruction is here. It's because your highest desire is for unhindered fellowship with God. You want your your relationship to be restored. And we see there in verse 4 that the forgiveness you have received in Jesus Christ, it should lead you to freely forgive others. Friends, your, your forgiveness of others is not the reason that you have received God's forgiveness. It's not like God forgives you if you do like a really good job in your life forgiving others when they've wronged you and like, yep, They've done a great job forgiving others, so I'm going to forgive them. 
No, no. Forgiveness comes through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But true faith in that blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And true faith that he has forgiven you, that God has forgiven you because of Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. Well, that will lead you to forgive others. It's the evidence that you have been forgiven if you forgive. Your willingness to forgive is a sign that you have been forgiven. And then finally, Jesus instructed his disciples to pray that they will not be led into temptation. That they might be protected from future sin. Brothers and sisters, one of the greatest protections from temptation is to continually depend on the Spirit through prayer. One of the greatest protections from temptation is to depend on the Spirit in prayer. As the well-known Puritan author John Owen put it, if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. If we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. So this is the pattern of prayer that Jesus gives to you, Christian. Let me take a, a moment to make a few brief observations about this model prayer that we find here in Luke chapter 11. First, your prayer is not simply meant to be a mindless repetition. It's not just that we memorize these verses in Luke chapter 11. We just repeat them mindlessly and job done. Now, it's not a magic formula that is guaranteed to produce the answer that you want to all your prayers. This is meant to be an example prayer, a model prayer, not the exact words that you must pray. Nevertheless, it is an important pattern. We see in verse 2 that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray like this whenever they pray. This example should at least in some ways guide your prayers. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS, when it comes to prayer. It's helpfully a book of the Bible. An acronym, if you don't know, is when every letter of a word stands for another word. So in Acts, when A stands for a word, like C stands for a word, T stands for a word. And this is a common acronym that Christians will use to help guide their prayers. A stands for adoration, which simply means pray. It's a reminder that we should take time to praise God in our prayers. C stands for confession. We're to take time to confess our sins before the Lord when we come to him in prayer. T, thanksgiving. Take, take, take time to thank God for, for his provision in your life for what he has done. And then S stands for supplication, which is a, a fancy word that simply means to like ask for stuff. That's when we would make our request to God. Take time to bring your request to God. It's not like you have to pray through this acronym. You don't have to use it. You don't have to use all elements each and every time you pray. Sometimes it's good to just shoot off a short prayer to God. It's a handy way for remembering the pattern for prayer that Jesus gives in these verses. Take time to praise, confess, thank him, and then bring our our requests to him. the, The second thing I think you should see is that much of this prayer, really all of this prayer that Jesus gives, is simply praying true things back to God. Friends, when you pray, you are not reminding God of things he has forgotten or telling him things that he does not know. know, You're reminding yourself of what the Bible teaches is true about God and what he has promised. This is why it is so helpful to pray back the words of Scripture to God in prayer. 
that is a wonderful thing to do. Just open up a psalm and pray it back to God. God has promised his name will be honored and his kingdom will come. So we pray for these things to happen. He has promised to provide the things you need. So we pray in confident faith that he will provide what we need. God has forgiven us forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So we can pray confidently, knowing that if we can... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Brothers and sisters, we, we pray these things in faith because we know our God is a God of his word. He will keep his promises. He will act according to his word and according to his character. And so these types of prayers strengthen our faith. We depend on his word and his character as we come to him in prayer. The final observation I want to make about this model prayer is what a simple prayer it is. I mean, it is not a, a prayer of a lot of words, certainly not a prayer of fancy words. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught this. When you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. As John Bunyan put it in his book on prayer, so John Bunyan, the same who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he writes this, It is not your words that God so much regards, as if He would not regard you unless you come before Him with some eloquent oration or some fancy speech, in other words. His eye is on the brokenness of your heart. Kids, this model prayer that Jesus gives here is a simple prayer. And that should encourage you that you can pray. It is okay for your prayers to be simple. Just seek to make them heartfelt. God cares about your needs, both great and small. He cares for the needs of your parents. He cares for your needs as children. So pray. That's the content of our prayers. Second, let's look at the the attitude of your prayers. Look again with me at verse 5. Jesus also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I do not have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Do not bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I have gone to bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. After finishing giving this model prayer, Jesus gave his disciples an illustration to encourage them to pray. To encourage them to pray with boldness. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is encouraging you to pray with boldness. Although Jesus told of a man who had an unexpected guest show up at his house late at night, seems at midnight. There were no cell phones in that day, no email, no way of, of knowing when a family member or a friend who was on a journey might just show up at your door unexpectedly. And hospitality was a very important part of culture in that time. So this man was left with a choice. Would he be shamed in front of his guest? 
not provide him the things that he needs when his guest showed up? Or would he risk shame from his neighbor by waking him up and asking for bread? He chose to go boldly over to his neighbor's house and ask for the bread that he needed. His neighbor did not seem so interested in helping, though. That is not surprising. Families in that time would have likely been sleeping all in one big room. So this man comes up and knocks loudly on the door, wakes up the man, his wife, all his kids. Any of you with small kids can relate. You do not want your kids woken up after they go to bed at night. And so this man that he has gone to knock on the door of is not happy, and he does not want to help. And yet, look at verse 8. Though the man does not want to get up, even for his friend, he will get up because of his friend's shameless boldness. He's not doing it because it's his friend. He's doing it because of his friend's boldness. And that word that is translated shameless boldness can also be translated as persistence. The idea is that this man came over and like just knocked and knocked and knocked. He didn't take no for an answer. He just kept keeping those kids awake and kept pounding on the door until the man finally got up. His neighbor told him to go away. The kids are crying. They're fussing. I'm tired. Got to go to work tomorrow. But the man just kept on asking anyway. And because of his shameless boldness and persistence, the neighbor reluctantly gave him the bread that he needed. I think that's a story we, in some sense, can relate to. Don't know if you've had anybody come over at midnight, but my guess is most of you have had somebody come up unexpectedly and just, like, ask you for something out of the blue. Like a friend, a family member, someone you knew. When people come up to do that, it's really hard to say no, isn't it? When somebody just comes up and, like, shamelessly asks you for something. It's uncomfortable to say no when someone is bold enough to ask. What's the point of Jesus' story? The point is that you should come to God boldly in prayer. You should ask God boldly for things. Make requests boldly to him and keep on asking. And why? It's because unlike this reluctant neighbor who gave to his friend grudgingly, God is a cheerful giver. He delights to give. He never tires. He is not asleep. He is not begrudging in his giving. He is a generous giver. He delights to give good gifts to his children. He delights to rain down mercy on his people. He delights to meet their needs. He delights to answer their prayers. So pray. Friends, God is not a reluctant giver, but an abundant provider. So approach him with boldness. Do not be afraid of pouring your heart out to him. Do not be afraid to ask. I mean, God already knows your needs anyway. He already knows your desires. He already knows your heart, so ask. Pray. Come with a bold and expectant faith that God listens, that your God cares, that he has the power to do far more than you ask and think. And brothers and sisters, just take a moment and ask yourself, do you believe that? Do you believe that about God, that he is a cheerful giver, that he delights to meet your needs, that he loves you? Now, this type of bold prayer, the bold prayer of George Mueller, requires faith that God can act and that God will act. But brothers and sisters, you can always count on God to act according to his goodness, his compassion, 
his kindness, his love, his mercy, and his grace, God will always act in accordance with those things. So pray boldly. And friends, you can pray boldly because God amazingly and mysteriously chooses to accomplish his plans and purposes through the prayers of his people. He works through the prayers of his people. He answers the prayers of his people. The prayers of his people change things. Things that would not have happened had his people not prayed happened because they prayed. I mean, this is amazing. As the theologian Bruce Ware put it, God has devised or created prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work that he has ordained, as part of the outworking of his sovereign rulership overall. The relationship between divine sovereignty and petitionary prayer can be stated by this word, participation. When you pray, you get to participate in the work of God. When you pray, you have the privilege of sharing in the work of God. He uses your prayers to accomplish his purposes. Your prayers are powerful. In prayer, we have the grand privilege of participating in God's eternal purposes. I mean, that is just amazing. I mean, think of the young child who gets joy in, in helping his father repair or fix something around the house. And maybe he's not doing much, like, you know, pretending to hold the flashlight or the screwdriver, but he has the joy of participating in the work that is being done. Well, friends, that is us when it comes to God. What a blessing it is when we get to see our prayers answered. And so, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray often. Pray boldly. Pray persistently. Pray for things that seem impossible. The salvation of those who you would never think would become a Christian. Freedom from that sin that you have long struggled with. Comfort and joy in the midst of great sorrow. Provision of a job when it seems impossible. Brothers and sisters, all things are possible with God. So pray. And pray expectantly that God will act through your prayers. That brings us to the final point of the sermon, which is the expectation of your prayers. Right after Jesus told this illustration of the man who goes banging on his neighbor's house, this is what he says, starting in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In these verses, we see the reason that Jesus gave this illustration of this inhospitable neighbor. He wants to inspire his disciples. He wants to inspire you to pray because God, unlike that neighbor, delights to give good gifts to his children. He enjoys it. He wants to do it. He will do it. Jesus again illustrated this point by saying that even human fathers, though they are sinners, though we are evil, we're corrupt, we have a sinful nature, we don't always do what is good, though that is true as, uh, as for us as human fathers, 
we will still give, give, give good gifts to our children. We'll not give them snakes or, or scorpions when they ask for a meal. We're not going to give them what is harmful. We're going to give our children what is good. Well, if that is true, if human sinful fathers give good gifts to their children, how much more should you expect your heavenly Father, who is perfect in holiness and perfect in love, to give you good gifts when you ask? The ultimate example of that is that God has given the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit who has given new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit who is your comforter and guide and helper. As we read in Romans 8 earlier, the Holy Spirit who intercedes or prays for you when you do not know what to pray. He ensures your needs are made known to the Father. And friends, what greater gift is there than that? The Holy Spirit who gives us new life in Christ. So friends, if you are here and not a Christian, these verses are an encouragement to you that God will give you mercy, he will grant you forgiveness, and he will grant you eternal life. He will give you his Holy Spirit if you ask in humble faith. And for you, Christian, God has given you the Holy Spirit. So these verses are an encouragement to you to pray. You know of the generous and loving nature of your Heavenly Father. The fact that you can even approach God in prayer is evidence of that because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and open up a way to God. So Jesus' encouragement to you is ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Friends, God is a good father, and that belief is the fuel of faith-filled prayers that he delights to give good gifts to his children. Now, God is not some cosmic vending machine that gives you whatever you ask for. He is not like some genie in a bottle that you just have to like rub the right way, say the words in just the right way, uh, and he's obligated to give you whatever you ask for. No, Jesus is not promising in these verses that if you just pray to God with these words and like you have enough faith and you can mix all those elements together, that God's just going to give you whatever you pray for. And we cannot divorce these verses from the pattern of prayer that Jesus just gave us, where he instructed you to pray for the necessities of life, not the luxuries of life. Friends, prayer does not exist to fulfill the desires of your heart. And we could point to any number of examples from Scripture to prove that this is true. In 2 Samuel 12, King David prayed fervently, that God would spare the life of his son. But God did not do it. In 2 Corinthians 12, we learn the Apostle Paul prayed three times to God to take away the thorn in his flesh. Not exactly sure what the thorn in the flesh was. Doesn't sound pleasant. Paul wanted it gone. He prayed to God three times that God might remove it. But God told him no. And instead said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was about to head to the cross, he asked, if, he asked God if there might be another way that he might be spared from the suffering of the cross. But he also prayed to the Father that it not be his will, but the Father's will that would be done. And friends, that must be our attitude when we are praying. We ultimately want to see God's will accomplished, not our own. 
Friends, it is a dangerous thing to assume that the desires of your heart, the things that you want, are good and right and pure. It is a dangerous thing to assume that the desires of your heart are good and pure and right. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James writes this. You ask and do not receive. He's talking about prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Brothers and sisters, God does not always give you the desires of your heart because, like a good parent, God only wants to give you what is good. Your desires are not always good. The things you want are not always good for you. They may draw your heart away from God. It would be a terrible mother who gave her child candy or soda every time he asked. That kid would simply become unhealthy, overweight. Their teeth would rot from all the sugar. Brothers and sisters, getting what you want is not always a good thing. And so God will not always give it to you. Maybe your faith would not be strengthened if there was immediate relief from your suffering. Maybe God knows it would be better for you to learn to fully rely on him, to fully trust him. God does not want you to satisfy your sinful desires. He only gives good gifts to his children. And friends, the greatest gift is God himself. Prayer is not a a magic formula to satisfy the desires of your heart. Prayer is first and foremost a means of fellowshipping with our God. It's how we, like Mary, that we saw last week in that passage Pastor Ben preached, it's how we, like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus. As one pastor put it, the primary point of prayer is not actually to get something, but to know someone. That realization will change your prayer life. The primary point of prayer is not to get something. It is to know someone. Friends, if you only pray to to get something from God, you've missed the point. Our prayer is a means of getting the greatest thing, God himself. Our prayer is a, a means of us getting to fellowship with the creator of the universe. Now, friends, that does not mean you cannot ask for things. Pray boldly. Make requests to God. But the greatest desire should be to more deeply know the God to whom you are praying. To praise Him more. To trust Him more. To delight in Him more. And to trust that He is a good Father when He does not give you the things that you have prayed for because you trust that they must not have been for your good. And what did the prophet say to King Asa in those verses Nora just read for us? The Lord is with you and you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus says, seek and you will find, uh, this is ultimately what he is talking about. 
or to replace our desires for the trivial things of this world with a much greater desire. We do not seek those things that will fade and pass away. Our prayers are not a means of building up treasures on this earth. No, we're to seek that which is eternal. We're to seek first God and his kingdom. We're to look to delight most of all in, in knowing God, to desire to see his name honored as holy and to see his kingdom come. And brothers and sisters, the great promise of these verses is that if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first God himself, you will find him. Just stop and think about that for a moment. If you seek God with your whole heart, you will find him. So brothers and sisters, what should you expect when you pray? Well, if you're a Christian, you should expect that God hears your prayer and that God will answer. He might not answer immediately. Maybe he wants to teach you to pray persistently. He might not give you the answer that you desire. But you can expect that God delights to hear the prayers of his children. Friends, you should expect that God works through your prayers. He does really work through the prayers of his people. He uses the prayers of his people as a means of accomplishing his purposes. So pray like George Mueller. You should expect that God loves you and that he will give you what is good. You should come with the faith that God is the good father. Friends, you should expect that God rewards prayers of bold faith. Again, this does not mean that he grants us the desires of our hearts simply because we pray boldly. But we can trust him to act. And friends, you should expect that your intimacy with God and your faith will grow the more that you fellowship with him in prayer. Your intimacy with God will grow. Your resistance to the temptation of sin will grow. Your fellowship with God will grow. Your faith will be strengthened. I'm sure there's much more that we could add to that list. But at least let those things, and more importantly, let these verses be an encouragement for you to pray with bold faith to your God who delights to give good gifts. Let's pray.